Another Rugby World Cup in the books. South Africa are champions again. England beaten in the final. Disappointment for Ireland. I feel like I've seen this show before, but you know we rock on anyway because rugby season isn't over. This is World and Union Balzali's weekly rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside as always Morris Brosnan. Morris, South Africa, worthy winners in the end, and none of us know anything because we certainly weren't saying that seven days ago. No, yeah, and I guess it just goes to show the like how important basics are in rugby. It's funny, isn't it? Like the, the, the there is kind of this idea that South Africa winning is a bad thing for rugby. Do you know, like that that's definitely out there. It's the sentiment as in that that, that this World Cup could have been about I don't know. I think the maybe it was invented before it actually came to fruition that we we were seeing another revolution in rugby like uh, remember all the really definitive narratives that came out of the last World Cup and we've talked about them on the show at length both with coaches and amongst ourselves about attacking or defensive rugby and the need to expand and I suppose you know how that was relevant to Ireland and I don't actually think that is as easy an argument to make after no. South Africa winning a World Cup and I think that's where a lot of that stuff comes from but there is, there is that kind of feeling around it that even though the the scenes afterwards are class like and you look at some of the videos coming out of Cape Town and Johannesburg and it's just really kind of amazing scenes basically but uh, there is still that sense purely as a rugby perspective is this a, a particularly good thing for the game I guess Sure absolutely and we'll talk about that a little bit more but um, just want to let you know what's coming up on today's show we will talk everything about what happened at the Rugby World Cup there is also lots going on outside of the World Cup and we've officially moved on today with the kind of absolute like an anvil coming down on Saracens uh, Rugby Football Club with the news that they're going to be the deducted 36 points in the Premiership or 35 points which puts them on currently on minus 26 having played three games also more than 5 million pounds uh, you know so even if your owner is a multi-millionaire in rugby 5 million pounds still goes a long bloody way God knows where that leaves Saracens there's lots more including Munster uh, possibly signing a couple of World Cup winners and everything else besides We'll talk about all that today. And also, a little bonus for you this week. We're going to have, um, people will remember we had him on before, Ben Cisneros. He's from rugbyandthelaw.com. We talked to him. A really, really interesting conversation about the Rook laws and everything like that. He's going to talk to Morris, um, maybe tomorrow. I, I think maybe, is it tomorrow or Thursday? And um, we'll put that up as a bonus world in union for you this week to talk to you about everything that's going on in Saracens really and how they got themselves into this fine mess where they've won four premierships and three European Cups in the last uh, five years. So, you know, maybe maybe success has come from an illegitimate place, but, uh, there's, you know, we'll get into that a little bit. It's Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Like, this, it's a, this story is a testament to the wheel does not stop turning. Like, I, I watched this game actually in, I was in Manchester for some, covering the Katie Taylor fight, as you know, and... I was watching it back this morning. I was going to do some this thing about malls, the creation of malls, and we've talked about counter malling. Some just the, I was going, and it kind of struck me like halfway through watching this after the Saracens news just just broken and the monster stuff yesterday about these ventures signings like this is this is only what two days after the game and I was just like I don't give a shit about this game like, <laughs> I was like this is, like oh, suddenly my mind was just totally elsewhere in, terms of, in, in a rugby sense it wasn't even like fixated on that and then for that to come down for Saracens and just for people who don't know timing wise like this is it's such an incredible story um, we're going to get into it as you mentioned with, with Ben later on in the week but 
this this story is broken on Tuesday. Like you have to bear in mind, this is the Tuesday before the European Champions Cup is supposed to launch tomorrow, Wednesday, and the Champions Cup as a as an organization have been really progressive with their approach to media. So much so that in Cardiff tomorrow they've arranged for every single manager and every single captain to be there together and there's free reign so you can grab anybody and do up your interview. So Saracens were supposed to have, we don't know if it'll go ahead now, but Saracens, as of tomorrow, are supposed to have Mark McCall and Broadbart there at this in with the European media descending on Cardiff and the chance to ask them and every single other team from the Champions Cup about their feelings on the news as broken 24 hours previously. So I think that the week itself, like this story will run and run and run. Saracens have already come out and said they're going to appeal it. But I, just in terms of a, a, the timing ways, like it was a... An absolute bombshell to drop, and nearly perfect post the World Cup. That it just the wheel does not stop turning. The wheel definitely doesn't stop turning. It's a it, it's something I actually even alluded to last week, and we're going to really, really realise it now because everybody's head has been in the World Cup, and the Champions Cup is in a week and a half. You know, and this is like for New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia, and everybody else. They can take a little bit of a breather now. They can go on holidays. They can come back for preseason early next year for European teams the season's only getting started you've you've ended with the pinnacle yeah and you have to kind of come back around and then this for saracens when you think about this as being like own farrell mara told you the two vinopolas before you even get to like elliot daly cruz all these boys there was i think there was eight saracens nine in the squad eight in the 23 that played in the world cup final as well as a south african um you know like suddenly they're like you know sputnik's falling on their head and <laughs> They're like, what the hell are we going back to? A relegation fight? Are we going back to a club? I, I haven't seen the next step, but the next phase of these stories, people will probably read them tomorrow, is where does this leave Saracens and the investment? Does Ray walk away from this? You know, he's a multimillionaire. He can afford the five million, but eventually these guys have a tendency to say, if this has cost me money, it's not worth it, you know? So this is the next story on, on Saracens. It's all fascinating. Way to sell uh, the next 20 minutes of the show, though, when you were saying about rewatching the game and uh, deciding that other things were slightly more important because <laughs> we do actually have to talk about the World Cup final, right? So the first thing, though, is, you know, is it bad for the game? You alluded to it there a few minutes ago. I think one, the way South Africa played in the final versus probably the semi-final in particular and the quarter-final as well, you know, was very different and maybe it was just a better clash. But I, I wasn't unentertained, I have to say, on Saturday morning. I thought they had an outstanding performance and, you know, we did see their wingers and their flair players get into it a little bit more. We got that. Like, I, when Kobe got his try, I actually went, yes, Kobe, because I just felt it was a really important moment for people to actually... Oh, we've heard about him and we've seen YouTube clips of him and we maybe we've seen him do it against Namibia or somebody, but like this was him in a World Cup final scoring a try out of nowhere. And that was like, this is the guy everybody's been talking yeah. about, you know, and that was a really big deal, I thought, you know, so there was a lot of that, but more so than anything else, I don't think it can be bad for rugby when one of its major countries like South Africa shows itself to the world in the way that their captain Khaleesi did after the game and I think everybody knows that he spoke so, so well. And if you haven't heard it, have a listen, actually, to what he did in the kind of World Feed interview after the game. Well, we're here with a winning captain from South Africa, Sia Kualisi. Sia, just tell me when the final whistle went, what were your first thoughts? I was just grateful. I was grateful. 
for everything that uh, the team has, has been through. You know, we face a lot of challenges, um, but you know, the people of South Africa have gotten behind us, and we are so grateful, the people of South Africa. And you know, we have so many problems in our country, um, but to have a, a team like this, you know, we come from different backgrounds, different races, and we came together with one goal, and we wanted to achieve it. I really hope that we've done that for South Africa to show that we, we can pull together if we want to win and we achieve something. Couldn't have said it any better, Cap. Just to the game, how important was it for you guys as a team to lay a physical marker early? That's why we have a 6-2 six, uh, six split to, to make sure that we go out physically and they knew that uh, that's what we wanted to do, you know, our coach doesn't hide it. And yeah, and from the minute go, we wanted to have a good start because that's no we know that's what they were chasing, so the boys, that's why they sh some guys' shoulders were off, you know, early contact, so yeah. But they were, they were amazing today, they challenged us to the best. I know you touched on it just a little bit earlier, but in a country where rugby's a religion, what does this mean? Man, I have never seen, since I've been alive, I've never seen South Africa like this. You know, obviously in 95 what uh, the World Cup did for us, you know, and now, you know, with all the challenges we're having, you know, the coach just came in and told us the last game, we're not playing for ourselves anymore, we're playing for our people back home, you know. And that's what we wanted to do today. And we really appreciate all the support, people in the taverns, people in the shebeens, you know, people in farms, some homeless people, there were screens there, and people in rural areas. Thank you so much. We appreciate all the support. We love you, South Africa. And we can achieve anything if we work together as one. Absolutely inspirational words. Congratulations, Skip. Thank you so much. And lastly, thank you so much to the people of Japan, the people that came from England as well. Thank you so much for supporting the sport of rugby. Thank you to World Rugby for bringing rugby here. We appreciate you all. Arigato gozaimasu. Thank you. Now, I sat here with Brent Pope last week, Mars, right, and said... We all talked about how we were basically trying to convince ourselves that we wanted England to win, you know, because nobody did, but we thought it was going to happen, and we're talking about how it was better for the game, so on and so forth. And I did just say, you know, South Africa winning with a black captain wouldn't be a small thing. Like, you know, it would mean a lot, and it would be very, very symbolic and very important, I think, for the world in, in a way, you know, but it, it's certainly in that country's history, you know. I don't. I think even though I brought it up, I completely underestimated it, and that's because of Khaleesi's character himself. Like that was just a brilliant, brilliant speech. And people don't know what's going on in South Africa. They don't know. Uh, they don't know one how big this rugby tournament was because we weren't seeing it from their point of view. We were thinking of them as the the bludgeoning true somehow making the final. God, this isn't a vintage team. But we didn't think about how it had taken over and you know people who know anything about kind of like what happened in 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 95 there and how mandela used the tournament and maybe they read john carlin's invictus which is genuinely one of the best sports books ever please ignore the film <laughs> you know and i would recommend you read that but for that to go on things have not been good there outside of rugby for the last you know more than 10 years maybe but specifically recently and it has been on a knife edge i would say and whether anything changes because you win the Rugby World Cup is kind of irrelevant, really, because ultimately it's a step in trying to do that. 
and for somebody like him to speak in that way and someone who's come from what he's come from if people will know like has come from like a you know a, a poor township where he was you know basically one of those rugby saved your life kind of guys you know what i mean he's so well equipped to talk about these things and i just thought it was a beautiful and really really important moment and we could talk about whether it's good for the game as a style thing and all like that but i don't think you could get a better moment than that yeah i absolutely agree with you and erasmus actually alluded that what you what you just touched on there that that this might only be a starting point like erasmus said uh after the before the game sorry that if they had did win the world cup that this could only ever be a starting point like that there is work to be done i think they're like it's i think when whatever about how you react to that culturally or politically when the sport itself is trying to set that tone i think it sets you in a really good place to try and capitalize on that like when there's a a real recognition both inside and outside that there's something that this can only ever be like the the match that will hopefully spark a flame i think that that's a really good thing like that's it kind of shows the the power i suppose of things like this and that like ultimately we won't know the real effect until 12 18 24 months longer yeah, of course uh so like but i do think that the fact they're conscious of it is is really kind of is lovely actually like it's a kind of a testament to them separate to that the style thing is is interesting it's it is it is interesting because on one hand i kind of do sympathize with the fact that like you you don't want to see rugby boil down to that in certain ways particularly i think what happened in the the semi-final like that it just it makes the game kind of unattractive and we talk about <laughs> we talk about growth and things like that that won't happen in the, those kind of cases. Like, there's nothing really to attract people from outside the sport. I can only imagine how that went down with Japanese fans who came to the game watching such an incredible side of rugby that mm. the, they attempted. And on the other hand, though, like I, I despise the the idea that any sport needs to be played one way or that there has to be this uniform. I, I tell you, I was thinking about this on Saturday night after watching Katie Taylor. Right, I watched Katie Taylor box uh, Christina Leonard too. So for those that don't know. Uh, she just come through her last fight she came through a, a war very kind of controversial and close decision this fight was a lot smarter a lot cleverer stayed on the outside um, I was I think comprehensively a better boxer and afterwards the Leonardo to her opponent's camp came out and was really critical of how Taylor boxed and said she you know she ran she didn't that's not boxing and that you know and like I was looking at that and the reason I was thinking about it is because for those who aren't aware of Taylor's story she, she would probably go on to have three kind of mega fights over the next year and they will be against Pursun who she boxed last time who's a very kind of big uh, p- p- you know boxer a big puncher uh, Amanda Strano who'd be in a similar camp and Cecilia Brackers who's actually at 147 so it's a way higher weight so I would actually foresee that this style would be what she'll do going forward against all three of those opponents that she'll have to and I think that's a great thing like this is the how many times have we sat here and talked about how styles make fights and the fact that like it would be moronic absolutely moronic for Katie Taylor's trainer Ross Anime to send her in and say you have to stand and trade and go help letter yeah. against him similarly it would have been ridiculous if Razzie Ramos came in and the first thing he said is we're going to play like the All Blacks we're going to throw the ball around like Faf I don't want you to ever kick I want you to be running from the, the deep Pollard similarly uh, trying to snipe like these are you play to your strengths and ultimately like what South Africa did it, the reason that people are like oh what, if everybody plays that way the game won't be attractive 
Everybody can't play that way. Ireland tries to play that way and went out miserably in a quarterfinal. Like yeah. the, you make use of the utensils at your disposal, and I think that's actually the, the premise of sport. Like it's about getting the most out of what you have at your disposal, and if that comes in different forms, so be it. Like the, 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 without a doubt. And there's a there's a couple of things in the semi final that I think are worth mentioning, though. Like there is a kind of a beauties in the eye of the beholder thing. Like you know, of course, and, yeah. And, and, and like that's what you're saying with Katie Taylor. Like I mean, as a, as as anybody ever seen Floyd Mayweather fight? You know, like it's not as if he would could ever be described as not a boxer you know it's more boxing than than standing toe to toe if you want to say in many ways rugby is more of a forward kicking sport than it is barbaz style yeah, you know yeah, yeah. that's never really even existed yeah you know like you know france do it every five will score a try from their own line every 10 years and you know but it's not the it's not the bread and butter of the game and it never really has been i think so it can be lovely. It can be. It can be a really good thing. To, I think on Saturday, they showed it at its best. They showed like really aggressive defense. Poor George Ford was left just in a no no win situation. Like he was just absolutely destroyed, and it was because of just a brilliant, brilliant defensive and hard hitting game plan. Likewise with the ball, very similar, executed perfectly. What happened in the semi final was I think I did. They didn't play well. You know, so they played yeah, with this and it was inaccurate, as we said, yeah, in a really, really inaccurate way. Wales responded in a very similar way. They also didn't do it well, and it didn't force either team almost out of their comfort zone. And like, I think a good performance against that style of play will force you to do more because it'll eat you up. You know, so I, I think there's lots of things in there that you, you, I don't think we should be too down on South Africa's win because I don't think the final showed you know that i don't think the final showed what they were it was a, it was a cliched semi-final obviously yeah. and the opposite to the day before it's like it's just there for winning semi-finals generally can be quite poor like i thought that like a lot of it comes from the 10 and i wasn't particularly mad about pollard I think we kind of even slightly disagreed on that last week. Small we? like, bit, yeah, you know, yeah. I thought he was fantastic at yeah. the weekend, you know, and that like his his own kick chasing, I think, epitomised that. But I thought he was brilliant in every facet of the game, like and just the like sheer accuracy in in what he does. Like that's, I mean, that's you actually said it better than than anyone else could have really. Like the the point about what they did last week, it didn't matter what they did because it was so inaccurate. So the style wasn't the problem. It was if they were more accurate in it, you think probably would have enjoyed it more. But it's the fact that. Like we talked about passages of play where you saw like 10 different handling errors in one passage or that kind of stuff. It just didn't suit. Like it, it wasn't about style at all. It was just purely in terms of to what was being implemented as opposed to at the weekend when you've got somebody like Father who is just like, he's like a puppet master when he's on that stage. And the same actually, I thought like Fafter Clark for a guy whose passing has been kind of criticised over the last kind of seasons or two was perfect. Like he was always getting front football as opposed to like Ben Ben Young's had a really poor passing game and there was other stuff that went wrong as well but the amount of times where like the, there was a really obvious example where you've got Fafter Clark shooting up out of the line he tries to throw a loop pass over his head and it goes out for touch which was kind of crazy but then there's other stuff where it's like you, you've got you know England are finally trying to get some momentum against a teak tough really quick moving defence and just before you've got a big ball carrier coming to crash up he has to check his run because the pass is just a foot behind him Like, and that is just that's a really marginal thing but it's criminal at this level like it just you get because if you're checking your run like think about the deceleration you have to do just to move your body adjust your your hands to get that ball suddenly you've lost a split second they've gained a split second you're being put back behind the the gain line that stuff is just really kind of like at this level it's really really costly really really costly and that's like 
a lot of the when I said basics at the start, I didn't actually mean that as a in this style of conversation at all. Like I actually meant this as nearly a compliment. Like if you look at when you look at the game of rugby, right? You've got four main areas that a coach will focus on. Like this, like at, the, at its absolute basics, I'm talking about under twelves here. You've got defense, set piece. Uh, phase attack and structured attack like they're the four things that they'll try to, and everything else kind of comes out of that and if you, you might even go down further than that and you can talk about you know as a defender you can either shift or you can tackle and as an attacker you can run kick or pass like and that's just and it's absolute basic and South Africa actually took away every single one of them from England literally took away every single one of them so you get in the very first minute you want to talk about defense Courtney Law's tries to do this t- typical what, what do we call them again uh, crushing ta- dominant tackle t- typical England dominant tackle coming up out of the line hit, makes the hit and straight away South Africa like, welcome to my web and flood that rook and he's pinned he can't go anywhere force a penalty that's minute one Sinclair's gone off a minute later very first scrum you can see like South Africa all eight you can see the England back like particularly the two of them are brilliant, Curry and Underhill, but they're nearly detached from the scrum. Like they're not even scrumming down. This is the first scrum of a game, and all eight South Africa pack are like, we're, we all we're doing here is driving through you. Take away that set piece, line out. After eleven minutes, it's a very similar thing. Suddenly your set piece is in trouble. Defense, you're second guessing yourself. They even force the defense. Like what really puts a defense kind of in no man's land is when they know they can come up, and if you kick the ball, they don't have trust in their fullback to cover, and that's what happened. Like Daly had. Just an awful game. A pick, and this, I mean, we've talked about the ability to cover the backfield. It'll be really interesting to see how Daly is used when he goes back to Saracens. I think that'll be like I because the way they played. I remember watching them the day they played against Munster, and like the amount of trust they put in their fullback is incredible at times, like really incredible. They've got a, an area similar to the South Africa defensive setup. Um, so I, I would be very surprised if he's use anywhere outside of as a second centre or maybe on the wing but I wing, don't think yeah. I don't think we'll ever see him at fullback for Saracens which will be which will be very interesting I think m- m- moving forward yeah and you have to look at what his future is for England then because he was like I, I think it was more like I think Ben Young's had a very very poor game and it's like the worst thing you could do he followed up probably his best ever game for England and like Ben Young's is on a certain level that probably isn't the top top level anyway but he had a poor game I think Elliot was like fundamentally flawed I think there was a lot of kind of like really basic full back things that a strong like the team like South Africa that we were talking about that we actually said they wouldn't expose this last when we were on the show last week they absolutely did and oh, Elliot yeah. just was left just absolutely floundering and I think he's like a weak link for that team now like you know and I think he kind of there was a lot of people saying at the time like he always has been they've just been able to protect it you know so that's look i mean let's not worry about individual english players either yeah like but but at that stage then right suddenly your defense is in all sorts of trouble your set piece is falling apart you want to talk about uh structured attack and you've got like really clever situations where like if uh vinopola is coming around the corner and alongside him you've got two laggy two of their best ball carriers and fouls out the back door like what used to happen was that would fix defenders. You'd be able to throw a, ball, a switch pass out the back to Farrell. The defence would be so fixated on Tuilagi and Vinopola that there'd be gaps. And instead what would happen was you'd get Dialande, who's an incredible defender, and Pollard both biting in. And at the same time, from the initial rook, they're, they're hunting from the inside out. So you you can imagine, like it's not just, you know, they're always really, really forceful on the edge. So they've got that outside edge, the winger kind of shooting up to at that side. But at the same time, you've got pairs from the inside rook. So they're actually, it's like this, this absolutely all-consuming defensive line. So from that rook, you have Vermalin coming out. So, that, so he's hunting the inside out. You've got the outside channel is blocked off. You've got two defenders fixing the inside. And suddenly, like, where do we go here? And sure enough, Vermalin makes the read, ball goes out to Farrell, and he nails him. 
fixes him 15 mm. yards behind the the gain line that's and then that's structured attack and then in phase attack you've got the situation like i just mentioned where faf Clerk is shooting out of the line forcing ben young to throw crazy passes there was the one just after half time it's a brilliant if you, if you just watch it back in a 30 second clip it's faf Clerk literally comes out of the backfield like comes he's out of shot of the camera and shoots all the way through makes the read and it's actually he misses the tackle on farrell but that wasn't the point the point was to stop farrell getting it wide and sure enough farrell has to carry up and again loses ground think about colby's read on um on Courtney Laws on the left like they're swinging back you've got the worst of kind of what was it three outside on the outside channel there you've got the worst ball carrier who gets the ball Kobe recognises that and that's what they do so well their reads are so good in defence so he's like I can shoot here this guy's not going to get his hands free and now he gives away a penalty but at the same time that was like if he got the ball free it's a certain try so the, like their decision making in defence it's not always about even though they are kind of forced from the edge, when they do decide to go soft, they do it really, really well. Like, or if they decide to get a shooter like to Clark or like Kobe there, they do that really well as well. And suddenly, England, like we have, after 15 minutes here, we have no set piece, so we, get, we have no foothold in the game. Our defence isn't going to stop them, so we're going to get run over or concede penalties. And when we do get the ball, we can't get any go-forward ball. So where do we go here? And it's, they're, they're in a mess. And this is, you know, talking about 20 minutes into a game. Yeah. And not the easiest day for Dan Cole coming on after two minutes and facing that scrum, and they replaced the scrum after forty-five minutes. You know, like that the, must the have been the, one of the on. most fierce little sights I've and, seen them come on. And yeah, I felt like the game was over when I saw the. I said, like they're doing it that early. I was like, they're just because it was a penalty every scrum. Yeah, they're actually, up until I think about maybe the sixtieth minute, I think it was a penalty in every scrum, um, which is unbelievable if you think about it. And you know. You, I, I'd question Garces on a couple of them, but you know. Anyway, like but, yeah, like if you if you've got a when it's in that scenario, like and not to get into you know like those stereotype about French referees, but when if they have their mind made up about the scrum, you have to like whatever means necessary. Like the Coles should have been known that him going in and scrummaging legally and getting crushed every time was the worst possible scenario. Either you try and do something illegal and give away a penalty that would have given away anyway so the, the net cost is nothing mm. or you do something illegal and get into his mind and you get a, a penalty on the other side and you maybe you stem the momentum but yeah. like to I thought that was a bit naive actually that they never like there's like you know I'm not telling, saying bore in on this, that, that side and just make it blatantly obvious but even if like if they're trying to, if you're know that you're going to be wheeled maybe give that wheel slightly earlier and get into his mind South Africa are actually wheeling here they're not driving straight or something like that like I think you need to be a bit kind of try something because yeah. what was happening wasn't working just have a little bit of now so the only other thing I wanted to talk about about the game specifically then was just to add to your point about everything that South Africa did well I thought there was a really really good um, example of their discipline when England you know really needed that try before half time and had I would say, God, I didn't count them, but I'm, gu- I'm guessing it, could, it must have been 30 phases. They had a penalty advantage for the entire time and then eventually gave, like, a, the, a second penalty was called and it was the, advantage the over. advantage nearly, ever, yeah. Nearly back at the 10-meter line. Yeah, people give out about that and I don't really understand. I think advantage has to be until there's an advantage, you know? And with the attacking and team, always. There's like, never yeah. going to be advantage over if the penalty's on the line, you yeah. know? <laughs> so I think that's fine. But it was the longest advantage ever because England just kept going, kept going. But Owen Farrell was like, you know, come on, card, how many penalties? And Garces was like, there was two penalties. Two, yeah. There was the first one here and there was <laughs> yeah. the one here. And there was like 10 minutes in between. And you're just thinking like, whether Garces is right or wrong, for them to even to... to 
give you that perception. If the mind of the referee not give away a penalty for all that time when under such pressure and ultimately driving England back. It's amazing discipline in defence, actually, you know, because they'd already done it for a good few phases before they gave away that penalty in the first place, you know. So um, I think that was just that was just a real sense. This is South Africa's day and that they've turned up. And I just think they won all the battles, you know. And it was even the scoreline, like, was borderline flattering to England at the end and it was a hammering you know yeah yeah um okay so England so I have a slight theory that I wouldn't mind your thought on right about like I don't think South Africa are a 20 point better team than England necessarily I also don't think that England are a 20 point better team than New Zealand or and so on as it works I think that in the odd world cup you're going to get a team that are just better than everybody else I think the 2015 all blacks were probably the best example of that, right? They're just like on a pedestal, miles ahead of everybody else. You're going to have to have a miracle to beat them. I think every other, the way rugby is going, every other Rugby World Cup, I think, is going to have a group of kind of even-ish teams. And I have to be honest, I think that I'm developing a theory that I think it's the look of the draw then. Because you look at, say, November internationals, and look, they're not friendlies, but, you know, they're not the World Cup either, right? But, Teams target weeks. It's You're talking about the highest, highest level of the game with the best teams playing against each other every single week. Rugby is too attritional a sport. You're talking about like basically going through almost a, the equivalent of a car crash, at least for the forwards, every single time they play and then having to play again seven days later at the top, top level. It's not necessary that England peaked against New Zealand. It was like, would they be able to play at that level again just yeah. a week later? Whereas uh, South Africa, you know, fumbled through their semi-final with Wales, and then here they come, and they've hit top form. You can hit top form maybe once out of the three weeks in a row that that go from the quarterfinal to the final. New Zealand did it against Ireland. Whether you know whether Irish people who are really self-hating on the team at the moment will admit it or not, New Zealand were very good. You know, England did it against New Zealand. South Africa did it when it mattered most in the final, but they had to be in the final to make it. You know, yeah, like it's that's a really interesting idea. I think the like there's always teams who manage to pull it together in a very short space of time for the World Cup, and like my actually takeaway from that, kind of in a similar vein too, like the draw is obviously like. There's no controllable, like it's a factor, but it's not a controllable factor. But for me, like the the amount of stock put in four year cycles and all this kind of stuff is, is nonsense. Like, if, if it's South Africa, it happens so often. Like, if it's South Africa this World Cup, for example, it's uh, Australia in the last World Cup. Like, do you remember what the some of the stories that were coming out ahead of the 2015 World Cup and they pulled it together? Even to this World Cup, people were talking about the fact that they mightn't get out of their pool. They probably could have beaten Wales in, in their pool. I think against England, they were they were pretty poor. It kind of came home to roost then. But, like, I mean, at the same time, they had just as good a World Cup as Ireland did, and sure, Ireland's planning minutely for this World Cup for the last four years. So, like, my kind of takeaway about the, the draw one is interesting because it is worth remembering that England's got an extra week's rest and an extra day's rest. So got an extra week's rest because they didn't have to play their last pool game. Got an extra day's rest because they had a seven-day turnaround versus South Africa with a six-day turnaround. Which, yeah. uh, So, like, at the same time as well, I don't think that, like, uh, England could have any any complaints. Oh, I don't, I don't mean complaints. <laughs> I, 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 I mean in a more general sense of, like, 
is is the rugby world cup like i don't mean to go i think i don't know what english english side it was that was like south africa won the world cup but who is the best team in I the saw world that, oh, yeah. you know i don't <laughs> mean to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. who's the real best team in the world <laughs> psa england but i don't mean to say that right i i and that's nonsense right south africa won this tournament but i do think that there's I, I, I suppose my point isn't less to do with fitness and more to do with just getting up for a game and like that the standards are so high and the levels are so high that you're talking about 99% versus 100% and that can make a huge difference on a scoreline at the end of the day. Like, and I, I just wonder, is it possible to do that three weeks in a row? Whereas maybe if you're the team that plays Japan in the quarterfinal and doesn't turn up for... 50 minutes and then obviously it's just a much better team and is able to do it and then kind of like half half a depleted Wales team that you kind of just do enough to beat but you're not really doing it and then right we have our week like you know it's like, yeah. not that it's decided beforehand it's just that it, it clicks you know whereas England you know played very well against Australia then played very well against New Zealand they'd already beaten Argentina fair enough they didn't have to play France but they'd had pretty big games in the tournament so far and then they go and play the, you're, trying, you're talking about asking England to beat four Southern Hemisphere teams in a row you know to basically do you know a Grand Slam against Southern Hemisphere teams over the space of five weeks it's a big big ask like you know and and it doesn't make them any less like if they had come if this was a tour and they had gone to those four places and came back with three wins and then the last one was just a week too much for them nobody would be, would be coming back saying well that's a bit disappointing for England they didn't do it when it mattered most you know of course yeah Raz Rasmus actually it's funny like I, I maybe you saw this already Rasmus actually alluded to that idea as well so he just talked about the uh, load that his particularly his forwards that had come out like that's this what they did their forwards bet them up a front and then eventually they gave themselves license to fly out the back at the in, in the second half but he talked about the load that is put on his forwards and even really simple stuff like using a 6-2 split for the duration of the tournament yeah. so they're always fresher like you've always got more changes you mentioned referenced how early he changed his front row against Japan like you could see Mark's uh, Kitchoff they were warming up I know there was a, a Simbin early enough in that game the Beast got yellow card like, like I mean through the first half but in, like again same thing really early changes that the load kind of was less and he referenced that with somebody like Dan Cole he's like he actually has had a lot more exposure and then at the same time you're talking about this guy who was expected to go 75 minutes against this African scrum who made a change after 44 minutes as well and you're, you're just fighting a, a losing battle at that stage and that yeah I mean that ultimately would come down to uh, like freshness from a from an exposure standpoint the one about rising teams for a game is interesting but it's hard to get into that because like as i kind of referenced earlier they're like they're intangibles like it's kind of they're but from a coach's perspective they're uncontrollables and i i, I wonder like was during this week of hype on that how conscious of, of that was eddie jones like was there any bids to to halt that and if so what was it like we'll only find that out in the, all the really interesting stuff about this World Cup and this is true for any context whether that be Ireland or England will really come out over the next kind of four years or longer when the books are written exactly yeah. who's the first yeah. England player to go who's going to write that book first it has to be so, like I think Joe, Joe, Marler, team. Joe Marler's book Joe Marler who, like you have to remember was retired a year ago yeah. uh, is pretty media savvy um, has been pretty entertaining in his press conferences. I, you know, I wouldn't be one with surprise if he does decide to step away again uh, close to the line. He's probably the guy. He, if there is going to be a an extraordinary book, but then again, like how much uh, rugby insight is he going to give? Like he might just be great stories and the stuff that <laughs> and the stuff that'll sell. Haircut, haircut, uh, haircut stories. The, okay. the hacker, yeah. Rugby World Cup's over. I give it in a grade. I would say 
in Irish grades now, I would give it a C. So it it still gets an honour, but it only scrapes it. It uh, it's one of those ones that you got you got pat you got you got through, and you're not going to like you don't have to repeat, but you're kind of not delighted with yeah. it either. You're looking to other other scores. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Like as a in an overall context, I think. Um, hopefully that Japan become a tier one nation and rugby try and capitalise on that. Small, small stuff like North America, I think there's definitely concerns about USA and Canada and like as uh, Greg McWilliams told us last week, their schedule did not help them and they were like, I think they had the shortest turnaround of any team and this is a country that has been earmarked for a French World Cup so I think they had to, if they'd won the game it would have been brilliant. I actually kind of, I really respect their coaching ticket for not taking that approach and actually trying to be competitive against France and England and Argentina like they could have easily targeted the Tonga game and left those games to go and just got out there with their one win but the fact that they were competitive made the France game particularly I don't know if you remember that how entertaining that was for an hour um, before they kind of fell away towards the end as well mm. even the England game like to a certain extent the Argentina game was a, a different story entirely but there, like there was that sense around the France game definitely like, are we about to witness a huge shock here and they're actually the things that I enjoyed most like people saying the best game in the tournament was New Zealand England I completely agree I think the best game tournament was Japan-Scotland by a long distance because it was so like like, to my mind anyway that was and it was so surprising and there was absolutely no sense of kind of inevitability about it like you never felt like that game was won or lost either way even when Scotland uh, flew back in how entertaining both teams played that day I thought was was absolutely brilliant so for me that Fiji what 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 they've been told hopefully again that you could see like after this could have been a complete disaster but they were competitive really really good against Australia even the scenes with the Uruguay those kind of things are good it's just again it's like I I've made this point so many times here so I, like just just touch it up again it's like will we see real emphasis on capitalizing on that like there was, there was an interesting reference in Brendan Fanning who writes for the Sunday Independent had an interesting reference that if you were to sit down and ask a couple of diff- the different guys involved in World Rugby and you ask them like there's all this talk about growing the game and the need to capitalize on Japan trying to get a, a tier one nation but if you ask them what is your one goal for rugby right now they all have their own concerns like nobody really who is really trying to force that change is I think is a really worthwhile question and hopefully that that's like and it always is a hope because after all the good stuff that we heard about the possibility that Japan might you know, be included in the rugby championship and get their super rugby team back, there's now been really contradictory reports, which would be such a shame if they're left in, in a limbo, effectively. Like it yeah. doesn't, it's, uh, so I, I, as I said, like this, this, that World Cup, is. De- I agree with you, it could be a C, but I actually think it has the scope, World Rugby has the scope to make it a B if they capitalise on it, if Japan become a tier one nation, if we see real improvements in some of the Pacific Island countries and the scope for them to kind of join the top table like that that's the kind of stuff that the most glaring set of all is the, when you look at back at the world cups and you see the same five teams over and over and over again and you think about in the last what is it two three uh football world cup cycles and you've got nearly seven different teams like yeah. the that to me is the most glaring thing and until that changes i think maybe a c is just what's going to be locked at yeah, absolutely. Uh, good to see that Japan are going to be over here next November, um, along with Australia and South Africa. You'd really afford that, wouldn't you? Yeah, so much so because you always do play a weaker, a weaker game of those three, and so like you know, it's they're great in their own way, and we should be playing more of them. But look, let's face it: in the week of the game, you're not looking forward to it in the way you would against New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, but or Argentina. Even I suppose we're kind of sick of playing them in November as well. You know, so nice to have a break <laughs> next year. But like, uh, you know, you do get like super 
you will get super up for Japan coming over now, and I hope that like you know, may, I don't know where else they're going. I, I haven't seen it, but like I hope they have actually at least for a while, and while they are still in that limbo, that they do have a serious place in the tours, and they become at least be treated in the tier one as a tier one nation in that way, you know? Yeah. So hopefully you've been looking at a bit of a team in the tournament. Um, I'm expecting at least eight or nine Irish guys in this, you know, don't forget that we beat Russia 33 nil. Yeah. So 35 nil, I think actually, um, unsurprisingly, there's no Irish in this team. Uh, and, uh, they didn't but, concede any points against Samoa or Russia. <laughs> oh, I was conceded five points against Samoa actually. Um, that's probably worked against them in the end yeah yeah it has it's actually been interesting the, the damaging perception of Ireland that this I've been looking at like the foreign like particularly kind of uh, English based medias they're picking their lines it happens after every World Cup pick your lines at this stage and like one two Irish in yeah. nearly all of them it's, it's pretty amazing that the uh, then again the, though there's been plenty of times when we've had 10 Irish guys in the lines two years out and by the time it comes around nobody's in form again so generally these things kind of come out in the wash and we'll yeah. always have kind of five, four or five in the start exactly thing. speaking of team tournaments a couple of these are very straightforward other ones less so so I'll run through it and then maybe just halt on the ones that I had to take a second to think about okay. um, so Bowden Barrett at fullback I think that's pretty straightforward um, I, I, like, I actually think if he had been a bit better in the semi-final. Willie Larue could have been in that conversation, but there was like just that kind of slightly little next year. I think particularly in attacking sense, Barrett is is deserving of that. I agree. The, the first wing is I went for uh, initially I had Anthony Watson from England. I actually changed that to Matsushima from Japan because I don't think I think that the Watson one might be a tad bit of revisionism about how strong he was. Like, if you remember during the pool stages, it wasn't Watson who a lot of people were talking about. It was Johnny May yeah. about... Now, he obviously subsequently got injured and wasn't fit against New Zealand. And if he was, I think he would have finished that try on the left and maybe he's in this conversation. But for, for what he did... Like, Master Team was so electric. I remember we, myself and yourself were sitting down here and we were trying to predict the team of the tournament and we were running through wingers and we were talking about... It was, we were watching Australia play and we were talking about... Um, Fiji, like, uh, surprise, surprise, like, semi Rodara was going to be in this team. Like, he was just sensational in the early stages. But after that, we're like, you know, like, Severis could explode later on in this tournament. And then, just at the very end of the conversation, we were like, what about Matsushima? And we both just kind of looked like, oh, he's obviously in this team. Like, it was, it, already we'd kind of forgotten about him. So I think that's worth bearing in mind that he was electric in the pool stages and it's definitely kind of worth his place in the team. I actually could have had nearly four Japanese in this team. I only ended up with two. Okay. Uh, so moving on to, to as I, as I mentioned, so he's right wing. Yeah, and the left wing is uh, I can never get this name right. Radira, Semi Radira, the right. Fiji winger. Uh, the, the only one who was in that conversation as well is the West winger Josh um, Josh Adams, who I think again is another player that came out of this tournament with a lot of credit. But uh, yeah. for for what he did, I like speak. We can talk about it um, briefly. The World Rugby nominations, I think. Uh, will save themselves because Datu is going to get it uh, pure uh, Steph Datu but I think that in another world uh, Sammy could have definitely been in it centres just say on the on the wing I think one I, I agree with not being in it's interesting you've gone for two kind of tier two uh, players on the wing as it does tend to be the position actually you know is a separate conversation it does tend to be a position where you know, players kind of the best players kind of end up in, in these teams. You know, yeah, like a, yeah. that that is often the case. That's where their world class players play. But um, the Wallabies left winger, whose name I can't remember right now, scored try against England, but he scored the exact same try and won the pool games. He was just like probably not in general overall good enough, but Jesus Christ, I 
as as it got, he was Lomo esque when he got the ball, like facing away from his own yeah, goal that try, to just bursting he, over lads, you know. And he should have like remember there was that try that was disallowed at the very end against England as well. That could have been. Um, oh, that's sorry, that was disallowed. Yeah, 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 but yeah. it could have been that one of the tries of the tournament. Um, centers, we'll we'll touch on this him briefly for a second. Twelve, Dial Andre from South Africa. This is the guy who. It's been rumoured is going to sign for the Irish Times. The Irish Examiner reported, uh, and the Irish Independent reported yesterday that he is going to sign for Munster um, as of next season. So that's twenty 2020, twenty 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 one that he'd be joining Province uh, Centre of Dale Andre and Chris Farrell is an unbelievably exciting prospect for for Munster. Um, we can get into that again. Kind He's of, a big boy, and he is like I think it was the try he got the double movement try he got against Japan. It was obviously disallowed, and then he got the same actual try against Wales in the semi-final like just like one of those centres that you don't want to see run oh he you. is yeah. just explosive like yeah. and, and on very on, South African centre actually Jean de Villiers-esque and, and yeah and he's pretty good with his boot as well he yeah. um kind of kicked through uh, uh, when like not as a he wasn't a second playmaker by any stretch of the meditation but was well able to kick through the reason that Munster by the way are able to make that signing is because they, um, as reported by the, the Irish Times they had a gap thanks to Jack O'Tout's decision to leave so that, that, that he's not technically actually occupying a spot of somebody who's coming through he's coming in to fill that spot the other one by the way in that report was by the Irish Independent was Audrey Seinman the second row um, so he didn't start for South Africa but I mean if you saw the size of that you, you wouldn't miss him if you saw him coming on mm-hmm. um, so that's another uh, interesting enough moose in the Irish province the other centre, I'm gone for somebody else from Japan, uh, Lafayette. Again, particularly against Ireland, I thought he was just absolutely electric. Um, and like, there's, I, these actually weren't that funnily that competitive for me. The other, other one that I was thinking about at 13 was Manor Tuilagi. Um, and maybe like, it, it maybe it's slightly harsh to punish him for the final. But if you move on to 10, that's where I actually think George Ford should get in because you can't forget about what he did in that final that was one of the best games I've ever seen in him the semi-final play. in the semi-final game. sorry in the semi-final I always think you have to take into context um, he was playing a lot on the back foot I think his supply of ball was terrible in the final and when an out half is in that scenario I think it's really really hard to get any kind of forward momentum um, and so speaking of that the after clerk I've gone for at nine um, I just think that the way he impacts the game in every sense like I'm talking about his passing as he mentioned was actually great in the final uh, his kicking was pretty loose against Wales, but he was implementing a game plan that worked out pretty successfully. And his defence is absolutely incredible. Like th- th- this kind of sniping, shooting run. I've, uh, you know, p- some people say, "Oh, this is the way scrum halves are going." I totally disagree. I don't think. I think there's very few scrum halves who are capable of doing that. I don't mm-hmm. think coaches would put uh, fresh on them to try. They're, like that's down to that isn't coaching. That's down to brains. Like that's like, a really, really intelligent defender recognizing when he's allowed to shoot, when he's allowed to snipe. Yeah. I remember you mentioning it against uh, Wales when he just read advantage straight away, knew what to do, made the read go to go to the wing. Like th- th- I think that that's not uh, that's really, really hard to ingrain into a player. I think yeah. you know. So I don't see that as being a template moving forward. I just think that reminded me of like some really good South African scrum halves and that he just seemed to be like the smallest guy in the pitch was also the biggest leader you know yeah, and, yeah. you know and that's like the annoying kind of laughing in the face of the big forwards in every game you know but it's more than that too like I, I thought he was really really impressive and I think in a World Cup when you're probably like you know you're definitely saying goodbye to Will Genier you're, you're, you're more than likely I think you are saying goodbye to Aaron Smith you know like that there's a, too, there yeah. is a change in the guard there a little bit you know what I mean there is like Conor Murray <laughs> you know probably his last World Cup 
up, you'd imagine, um, or close to it anyway. And, uh, you know, whoever else. Like, But um, this guy seems like he's kind of the face of that position now almost in the, in the world, you know? Yeah, and it's like, I, and again, Dr. Sh- like, you know, there was talk that De Klerk wouldn't be allowed to play for the Springboks because he was playing in the Premiership. And I think Erasmus has handled, even the way he's handled that in the last 17 months, just those basic offers. I should mention, by the way, I was only going to pick players in the position that they played. So I've seen, like, I saw a couple of other people get creative with their back lines and maybe move wingers into the centre and stuff like that. I wasn't going to do that. And the reason I bring that up now is because the back row, like, if you were to ask me to pick my top three back rows as a, just as a pure, like, players who played in the back row through a cup, Sam Underhill would definitely be in it. But also, uh, Pierre Seftitut, the uh, South African, uh, would de- also be at the top of it. Like I think he's going to get his board player of the year. And so based off that, he gets an odd at seven. Dran Vermalen gets an odd at eight, um, another South African. The only other player who I thought was close there is uh, Hamino, the Japanese number eight, who was at times incredible. And he's so important to all they do. If Michael Leach was the story of the Japanese back row in 2015, I think Hamino kind of set the template for what they're doing moving forward. And so moving along to six, then Tom Curry, I think was yeah. by far and away. I'd like, uh, you could you could have got creative and you could have tried to get... If, if you know what I was thinking of doing was moving Underhill to six and playing him instead of Curry but I think you just have to pick players in the positions that they played in and based off that that's why I've gone for and there's that. not too much between those two anyway really yeah, isn't yeah. yeah. Um, so second row second row uh, again another one that I actually didn't need to think about too much uh, I know like uh, Alan Jones might have been in the conversation but I just think that Mario Toje and Diego the uh, South African second row who was playing alongside uh, Etzebeth were by far and away kind of set the template for this kind these players who are like play can play like back rows in the loose and are still got the bombastic to play in the tight five as well. Like I think that's what Courtney Law's failing was that he he's he like particularly watching the final there was that sense around me watching him like this is definitely a back row playing in the second row. Like he, he's just he's a tad bit too light in certain circumstances. I don't know if his scrummaging is helping in you know this context. That's relevant in an Irish context too, by the way, when you talk about um like we talked at the very start of the why was Young Klein in this tournament. I think that would have that that was Joe Schmidt planning for an eventual South African match that obviously didn't yeah. uh, come to fruition. Front row, this is where England kind of have a bit more, I think in the tie five, England have uh, a bit more kind of, maybe if Andy Watson is unlucky here, they're going to get the nod. So I think Kyle Sinclair um, has to be in the team. It's I, I was really sad for him to see him come off so early after the tournament he's had. He's like, not only just the scrum is, was obviously one issue, but even we talked about his ability to move the ball, like just as a ball handling, like he's, he was like nearly a step above kind of tight furlong and, that I, I, they really kind of seem to miss that like just an extra I'm not going to call him a playmaker but you know an extra guy who can fix defenders maybe and try and get them moving quickly um, the hooker I actually think Jamie George emerged with some credit from the final um, and from the storm as a whole okay. and I think he would have been pretty disappointed and so I, I, again like it's interesting like the final totally changes your perception of England but you do have to think that as an overall tournament I thought Jamie George was phenomenal so I think that he is actually the standout candidate um, to get the nod there and then finally I actually went for uh, Match Dwarra the Beast from South Africa because like if I was to pick a World 15 he wouldn't be in it but in terms of impact on the tournament and how he defined it yeah. other than the yellow card which you mentioned earlier I think he was like he set the st- it, South Africa's the platform that South Africa built their game on was him being 
aggressive in the scrum, the fact that he could set a template for 50 minutes, 45 minutes, and then they had a probably more talented front row to come on from the bench and continue that job. But so much of that was set in stone by his contribution. And the like, you know, if you want to boil it down to really, really simplistic, simplistic terms, this game started and finished with the scrum last Saturday, and he was integral to that. Like, he did, tore Dan Coles apart. So I was, we've, we've already talked about that. So, yeah, that's the, that's the 15 that I've gone for. Very good. That's six South Africans, five English, two Japanese, uh, one Fiji, and one New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. And so and uh, yeah, and the, so the, when I was looking back at it, the, I was looking at it as like I think that Smith will probably get into some teams. I I actually don't think he should. I think the clerk is yeah. is is ahead of him. I think that uh, Muanga might get into other teams as well. But, but, and wow. uh, I like if you're going to put in. Like, for the same reason that George Ford is in the street and the same team that Moanga shouldn't be in he had one huge massive performance in a game that really really mattered Moanga had one massive wonder performance in a game that really really mattered I don't think, don't think you can just overlook that um, I actually think that Pollard would be ahead of Moanga in this conversation yeah uh, so for, I, I, I would have Pollard very close to Ford to be honest yeah, like, I, yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to make one point actually because you're going to look at this now and say one New Zealand right there's nobody from Wales who made the semi-final and then like just like think about now Australia um you know, and then just think even just big rugby teams like France, Ireland, Argentina, nobody from there, right? That's fair enough. But I think it's like the GEA All-Stars, which were on That's Friday week, night yeah. here, you know, and, and, and we t- talked about the football, we had the pre- conversation about the hurling. I think it's really important to think that this is an individual performance, right? New Zealand were the second best, third best team, let's say, in the World Cup this time, right? And played like as a team collective have, yeah. have like could have had like the third choice for 12 of these awards 12 of these positions but really other than Barrett who did who was the best of them ja- Japan probably only have four contenders but two of them were the best in their position and that's and, and, and I'm so sick of how could you possibly how could Tipperary win the All-Ireland and score nine million goals and only have <laughs> one forward well he got most of the goals first of all and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then second of all like it's about an individual choice between players and that's Look, without getting into GEA, we don't have a GEA podcast uh, going at the moment because it's off-season, but that's what annoyed me about them picking Brian Howard at six Sick, because yeah. it was a cop-out because they didn't want to make those decisions. And you haven't done that, Morris, with your Rugby World Cup team at the tournament. And uh, if any Welsh fans are listening, it's not you know our usual anti-Welsh agenda on this. They were... but they absolute credit to themselves at this World Cup given the yeah. injuries that they had and all. But not one player stood out any better than every single other player in their position yeah and like that's and as i said like if the like some of this stuff is really close like i think josh adams and adam and jones are probably the two who you could make a make a case for but like that what you just said there is is perfect like what the one thing that wales can take out of this is what gatling crafted as a collective unit um and i think that these are individual awards and also that people shouldn't take them too seriously anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay fair enough um look we're almost out of time as i said we'll be back um later in the week uh with an interview with um ben cisneros from rugbyandthelaw.com to talk more about the saracen situation it's it's kind of breaking here at the moment as we know at the moment we know that they're uh down 35 points on their premiership season it starts them off at minus 26 after the three games they've played so far 
it's going to be difficult for them to avoid to to compete for sure. Um, but like even relegation is definitely if they if they're going to take Europe seriously, especially relegation is going to be very much on the agenda. They're going to lose five. They're going to be fined five point three six million, I think, which is a lot of money. Let's face it, uh, pound sterling that is uh, Brexit or no Brexit, it's still a lot of money. And um, there is a suggestion that they could be stripped of their four premiership titles in the last five years. How it affects Europe, I don't think it does affect it at yeah, all. Yeah, so the Champions Group have come out and brought a statement to say that this is a, a domestic ruling, yeah. so that they, they, it doesn't affect it. Legally, it's, 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 it's hard to know. Like, dude, other teams have grounds based off this about, like, whether or not the qualification that's stuff that we'll get into with Ben by the way like exactly. that, that, and even like the, there has been some suggestions based off the makeup this is committee and their ruling that there isn't actually really a scope for uh, appeal it's more a scope to review which yeah. so uh, again you know Saracens have come out and are you know pretty adamant that they're going to appeal it I don't know if there's actual legally we don't know if there's scope for that Ben is a guy who does so we'll get into that with him later in the week yeah look 46 players played in the World Cup final last week and 9 of them were from Saracens it is a super team there's no way of getting around it and I think one of the questions like you know that I would suggest that you ask Ben of course you will anyway uh, when you talk to him later in the week and what we will get a little bit of information of is how this affects Saracen's team building going forward is this these investments that these players have made are they set in stone and they can live off the salary cap from now on and there's no consequences to them and they pay their like and maybe maybe then this isn't as big a deal for Saracens as it looks like maybe this is a look we take our medicine and we move on and we still got the Vinopolis and the Toji and Farrell and all these big name players who are costing a fortune but the fortune's already been paid that could be, so that would be interesting to know because I think Munster and Leinster fans in particular obviously Ulster and Connacht are going to be very very interested in does the Saracen superpower continue because there's no sign of this team not being the best team in the world as a club team in the world anytime soon yeah no absolutely yeah last 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 thing you mentioned the two Munster boys the Springbok connection with uh, with Munster the two Munster boys the two South African boys uh, you mentioned the Springbok connection uh, or I'm mentioning the Springbok connection with uh, the, the four coaches um, which was great to see it was great to see Felix Jones get his medal it was uh, you know it was great for those of us who you know um around kind of like Anthony Foley's funeral and everything like that without going into it like you know a lot a lot of time for Razi Erasmus I think he's a really really good guy and um, I was really really happy for him and that connection is there and it's real and to think the two World Cup winners are kind of as part of that trade almost are going to be coming to Thoman Park as you said next season not not this current season is just incredibly interesting absolutely yeah and like there'll be other conversations that we can get into when it's confirmed about whether or not it takes up spots of other like I you know exactly yeah not yeah, like, neither good nor bad is my immediate thought my immediate thought is this is fascinating absolutely you know? yeah. yeah yeah like there are really like really strong developing players in I thought Sam Arnold had a really good season last year um, as a centre a guy who actually was involved in Ireland training camps you look at you know Weasley and guys like this coming through in the forwards as well and like there's a lot of scope there but at the same time I do think like I, some of that stuff is definitely overwrought like this there's so much other factors within that every other team like was that were people really concerned about that when Joe Tomain joined and you're looking at Kelleher and all these young daily young explosive Leinster players was he really taking up a spot like I don't think that 
that I actually think that in general over the season it's not as big an issue as it is as I said that's stuff that we can get into once these uh, signings or if these signings are, are confirmed down the line excellent well the focus of the show next week will really be club rugby you know like that's what we're talking Interpros about now. Back, we're into yeah. that season we've got Interpros we've got Champions Cup really around the corner it's shocking I've seen the Leinster players are back uh, the Leinster Ireland players are back from uh, from holidays or whatever it was you know a, a small short break today just talk about whether they're good enough to get in the team the Leinster <laughs> playing the moment. So I saw Leinster's 15 um, for the game at the weekend you're thinking Jesus this is a young team and you see like sorry not to go into it but their back row was um, Max Deegan Scott Penny and um, Caden Doris yeah yeah, yeah Caden Doris and you're thinking Jesus I've seen all these guys play for Ireland underage and you're like it's unusual that you'll get this kind of like group together and you're like, could there be another generation just ready to make that step up? We could be, we could like buy, you're talking about the Lions in two years time. By the time we're kind of around to that, we could be looking at a very different oh, Ireland team, you know? I expect we will be. Yeah. 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 We'll get into that though. We will. We will. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really just getting around to the fact that there's a real season coming up now. <laughs> so I've been, I've been going on about it for ages. I will finally let you go. Please do check out our other podcasts. As we said, we're back with a World Union special um, on the Saracen situation later in the week. We also have the build-up um, with myself and Mark uh, where we look ahead to all the weekend's games. We're going to talk to Kevin Doyle about the Liverpool Man City game on that one. Um, and we'll have lots more besides. Check out the Balls of the football show if you're into the, the, the other kind of football, the association football. Um, the lads had a great show on Monday as well so lots more there lots more rugby on balls.ie as well which morris will be writing the majority of so uh, stay tuned to that and we'll talk to you in a couple of days